please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 is where continuing to go through the book of Daniel. Daniel 10. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. That your mercies are new every morning. They're steadfast. That you forgive us of our sins. That your presence is here with us. We pray that as we look at this chapter, that you would open up our eyes to the spiritual battle. It can be difficult for us to realize that there's a real enemy. And Lord, would you teach us to be able to resist the enemy and see victory that comes through Christ. May you allow our hearts and minds to be alert. And may we just have real clarity as we study this chapter together. Please send your spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom Brokaw defined the greatest generation as those that were born from 1914 to 1929. He wrote a book about this generation, the World War II generation, went through the Depression, then went to fight and support in World War II. This is my grandparents' generation. I knew three of my four uh, grandparents. My, my grandfather on my dad's side passed away when I w- was two. But the three grandparents that, that I got the joy of knowing told me stories of the Great Depression, of what it was like growing up in the Great Depression, and also uh, their involvement in uh, World War II. And on my mom's side, the Warrens, uh, they lived to be in their mid-90s. And, and the way that they lived uh, was very different than the way we, we live. Uh, they had 11 acres uh, just outside of Vancouver, Washington, across the river from uh, Portland, Oregon. In this very small, modest house, a two-bedroom house, they raised five kids in this uh, two-bedroom two house. They never had a furnace They never broke down and bought a furnace. My grandpa always heated the house uh, with his wood stove in the family room, and there was also a wood stove uh, in the kitchen. My older aunts have stories of uh, what it was like uh, to not have a bathroom in the the house. There was an outhouse that they would go and use, and my my grandpa eventually did an addition and added on a bathroom, but they never had a shower. It was a clawfoot tub. I remember as a kid visiting and, and taking baths in this clawfoot foot tub. They also never owned a washer and dryer. So they always would hang up their clothes on on the line or they would go to to the laundromat. I remember being a kid going, man, you guys are crazy. Like, why don't you just get a washer and a dryer? But they were this great generation. And uh, there's a blog that's been written about this great generation of seven characteristics that we see in this generation. And the first is they took responsibility for their own life. Take responsibility for your, your own life. You know, that's something we struggle with today, don't we, is, is taking responsibility for our own life. The second is be frugal. One of the mottos of the great generation was use it up, wear it out, make, make it do or do without. You can probably hear your parents or your grandparents saying something similar to that in in being frugal. Another was being humble. It wasn't uncommon to have uh, someone who fought in World War II receive a medal for fighting and then find that medal in a drawer, you know, for 
a, a grandkid or a child or a spouse to say, say, what's this? And they just didn't boast of their accomplishments. They were a humble generation. Also, they loved loyally. Number four, Tom Brokaw writes, and I quote, it says, it was the last generation in which, broadly speaking, marriage was a commitment and divorce was not an option. I can't remember one of my parents' friends who was divorced. He goes on to share in that generation, the statistics on divorce were one out of six, very different than today. Their view of marriage was you commit to it. And if you're, you're unhappy, it's not about your happiness, it's about your commitment to your spouse, and they loved loyally. Number five, they worked hard. This kind of work ethic that they had in, in World War II, they took home with them and were dedicated to working hard. Embraced challenge. Number six, they, they wouldn't shy away from, from a challenge, weren't afraid of, of a fight and a difficulty. And then number seven, don't make life so complicated. Our lives are so complicated, aren't they? And this, this World War II generation had a real value of life. Like, I'm alive. A lot of my friends didn't live, live through this. And so I'm not going to overcomplicate my life. And so you're saying, well, what does this have to do uh, with our study this morning? What does it have to do with Daniel Chen? Absolutely nothing. I just <laughs> had some spare time to do some reading and no, the title of this morning's message is Lessons from the Front Line. The reason this generation is so great is because they went through such great difficulty on the battlefield. And it's very similar of what we find with Daniel. Daniel is a warrior in God's kingdom. He's 85 years old at this point, and we learn lessons from the front line. We, we learn lessons of a man who's engaged over a long period of time of loving and uh, serving the Lord. So hopefully we can find some application in our lives this morning. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. Uh, remember, the second half of the book of Daniel deals with the prophecies and the visions that God gives to Daniel. The first half is the life and times of, of Daniel. So now it's not chronological, these prophecies. It's the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 536 B.C. Cyrus has reigned for three years after conquering Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar is off the scene the Medes and the Persians are reigning. Belteshazzar, if you'll remember, is Daniel's given name from the Babylonian kingdom. Going on with verse 1, the message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message, and he had understanding of the vision. So God's message through these prophecies is true, but the appointed time was long. And Daniel understood the message and he understood the vision. I like the way that God states that. The message is true, but the appointed time was long. And sometimes on this side of heaven, that's how it feels, doesn't it? The message of God is true. We know that the word of God is true, but the appointed time is long. It feels like it's a long race of endurance until we get home to be with the Lord. But I'm sure as soon as we're in heaven, that perspective is going to be flipped. We're going to go, oh man, it was, it was such a short amount of time. In verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I had no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Why is Daniel mourning? 
because of what he understood of the vision. This is on the heels of Daniel chapter 9 with the 70 weeks. In those 70 weeks, God was prophesying over the nation of Israel. And as we studied that two weeks ago, there was going to be hard times for the nation of Israel. Daniel understood that, and so it caused him to mourn. For three full weeks, he, he mourns, and he enters into fasting. And this is a partial fast. A, a true fast, or when we normally think of fasting, is to give up food and take that time and energy that you would use towards preparing food and eating food to pray. And our system, our stomachs reminding us, hey, you're hungry, you need to eat, and that being a reminder to, to pray. But what we find here is also that there can be a partial fast. Daniel is eating, but he's choosing not to have wine. He's choosing not to have any pleasant food. And he's choosing not to anoint himself. It almost seems as though this 85-year-old man's not taking a bath for three weeks. Gross, right? But he's doing all of this to show his humility and his brokenness before God. And maybe you get to a place where it's a season where God's calling you to greater prayer, to press in to, to greater prayer. Your, your, your heart is mourning over the condition of, of God's people and those you love and, and your family. You may, may choose to do a full fast with food or the Spirit of God may lead you to do a partial fast. And you say, you know, this is a food that I really enjoy, so I'm going I'm to set it aside to be a reminder of prayer. Or I'm, I'm really good at, at checking my social media and I do this throughout the day. And I'm going to fast my social media for one week. And when my thumb wants to go to my phone, I'm going to go to prayer, right? You might start to tweet in another direction, you know, like go through withdrawals from, from the social media. Or maybe you really enjoy reading the news. And you say, I'm going I'm to fast from, from the news this week. And this isn't legalism. You know, this is spirit-led. This isn't something that's opposed upon everybody, but it's something where you go, you know, I, I, God wants me to take a direction towards him in a little bit of a, a greater way. I want to pause for just a moment here and, and look at the first lesson from the front line, and it, it's resist the temptation to kick back spiritually. Resist the temptation to kick back spiritually. The lesson from Daniel's life is he's 85 years old and he's still pressing into God full force. And what an example that we have in this book of Daniel as a young teenager when he's first taken captive, we find him loving and serving the Lord and making a stand for God. But then throughout his whole life, he's dedicated to the Lord, walking in integrity, committed to prayer, committing to, to the word, and this would be a point in his life where it would have been easy for him to think, I can kick back. I've already put in my time. I've already made my, my stances. He's already got a, a legacy. But instead, his heart is soft and open to the things that are on God's heart. He's moved, he's broken, and he's going into greater prayer. He's taking time to fast and pray. And something that happens to us spiritually is sometimes we want to live on the reservoirs from past years, if you've walked with God for a period of time. And maybe there was a season where you're really pressing into the Lord and reading the Word, and you have journals that are filled, or note cards written down with verses that you meditated and memorized on, and that provides a reservoir uh, of strength, but, it, but it's, it's past. Well, eventually, 
those reservoirs dry up, don't they? Eventually, we've, we've, we've taken all the refreshment out of those that we can, and we're not putting anything new in. There, there's not daily bread that's being poured in. There's not living water that's being poured in. We're not, we're not meeting with the Lord or, or drawing near to God in the same way. And in a sense, we're kind of kicking back. We're saying, this is my time to, to kick back spiritually. I don't really need to be in the word every day, or I don't need to be in prayer uh, every day. And Daniel's life shows us the importance of, of not giving ourselves that license, but continuing to press in to our relationship with God. I don't know the time for sure, but it seems like the last four months in our country and in our news, uh, all of these men have been being exposed for their sexual perversity, you know, that, and abusing women and, and rape and all, and it's gross, isn't it? You know, when you, you, turn on the news, you're like, oh no, here it is again. I'm going to have to hear about this guy and, and him being exposed and how he has uh, abused women. And I think it's really good that, that these men are getting exposed. And to me, I'd like to take the life of Daniel and contrast it to some of these men that are being exposed today. And a lot of them that are being exposed are older. You know, they're, they're men in their 50s or 60s or 70s sometimes, and what we find is that they have a life of abusing women sexually. And this has been going on for years and years and years and years. And now they're, they're, they're being exposed. And it's like, what kind of life would you rather have? Would you rather have the life of Daniel or, or the life of some of these men that are, that are being exposed, right? Man, no way, you know? And we have got to understand the, the depravity in our, in our own hearts, and what I'm seeing more and more in our culture is there's not a lot of middle ground, meaning that you've either got to be for Christ or against Christ. We're either going to press in like Daniel did, or we're going to get swept up in the world. We're going to get swept up in, in, into sin. And so there's a strong exhortation from Daniel's life to, to press in spiritually. In verse 4, now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris. So Daniel is by the river when he receives this, this vision. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. His body was like Burel. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like the torches of fire. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. So this is a man that Daniel has a vision of. And there's two primary views on the nature or identity of, of this man. And one is, is that it's a vision of Christ because it lines up so closely to Revelation chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 1 where there are visions of Christ. The other is, is that this is an angel. And this, this angel is glorious, but this angel is, is not Christ. And as you follow the text and you study chapter 10, you're going to see that this man, this, this, this supernatural being, goes up against a demon of Persia, the prince of Persia, and is resisted for three weeks. And we'll see that in just a moment. And because of that, I think that verse 5 and 6 is describing an angel instead of a vision of Christ, because I don't see... Jesus being in a struggle with a demon for three weeks, you know, 
If Jesus were going against the, the demon of Persia, he'd be like, you're done. It's over, right? So though this sounds a lot like, like Christ, it's most likely an angel, and angels are glorious, and our attention's not to be upon the angel, but upon Christ. The Hebrew church in the New Testament got really focused on angels, and the author of Hebrews lets us know Jesus is greater than the angels. The glory of the angels is to ultimately point us to the glory of Christ. In verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. So Daniel's with a group of men, and he's the only one that sees the vision. But they do experience great, great fear. They know that something supernatural is happening, but they don't see this, this man in linen. It's similar to Saul in, in the New Testament. When God, God appeared to him, God specifically spoke to Saul. And those, those around him were aware of the effect, but God meant this for, for Daniel. In verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. He, he's completely wiped out as he receives this vision. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. So this man is speaking to him, and he's hearing it, but he's also in a sleep-like like state. And that's a, that's a very interesting place to be, isn't it? Where you're kind of in between being awake and in between being asleep. And suddenly a hand touched me, with, which made me tremble on my knees and the palms of my hands. So he, this man touches him and it causes great fear and trembling in Daniel. This is very a moving experience for Daniel. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking the words to me, I stood trembling. So the man speaks to him and says, you're greatly beloved. Two times in this chapter, Daniel's reminded that he is loved by the Lord. We'll focus on that more in, in just a moment. And now he's encouraged to, to stand up. In verse 12, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your, your words. So the angel is sent the moment that Daniel humbles himself before God. So from God's perspective, when Daniel chooses to mourn, when Daniel chooses to enter into this partial fast, God sees this as Daniel humbling himself under the mighty hand of God. Do you know that prayer is an expression of humility? Why? Because when we're praying, we're expressing to God we can't do it on our own, and we're needing his guidance and direction. If prayerlessness is a part of my life, then it's probably evidence of my pride, even though I might not feel prideful, because I'm saying to God, I got this under control. I know how to do this. It makes sense. I've got good understanding. I've done this before. But when we're crying out to the Lord in prayer, it's an expression of, of humility. God hears the prayer of the humble. He responds to the prayer of the humble. In 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. How do you do that? Cast all your care upon him, because he cares for you. These were cares. These were worries that Daniel was carrying, and he cast it upon the Lord. What, what cares, what worries, what anxieties do you have this morning? Are we casting those upon the Lord? In verse 13, if you highlight, if you underline, if you take a pin and put a box around a, a, a verse, if you use a Bible app and you, you highlight, this is a verse to take note of. This is a verse in scripture that gives us window, a window into spiritual warfare. It says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So the second thing that we realize, the second lesson from the front lines of Daniel's life is we realize where the battle is. We realize where the battle is. Here this angel is saying, I was sent but I wasn't able to get to you for 21 days because the prince of Persia came and withstood me and I had to go ask Michael, another angel, a, a chief angel, to come help me and, and aid in this, in this process. The prince of Persia is referring to a demon. We know demons are fallen angels. Satan is a, a fallen angel. So you've got a good angel, one of God's angels, warring with the, the prince of Persia. So what do we find out about spiritual warfare in, in this verse? Is it seems to be there's particular demonic entities over particular regions. So, so here's this, this demon that's over the region of the, the prince of, of Persia. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks of this. I'll read it to you. It says, Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So we see there in Ephesians 1, principality and power, might and dominion. In the demonic realm, there is an order, there's rank and file. And it seems to me, this is just my perspective, that different regions of the world will seem to have different demonic attacks. There's different ways that demons seem to have a field day on those particular communities. Some communities will struggle more with, with suicide. Some, some communities will struggle more with drugs and, and alcohol. Some, some will struggle, and, but the end result's always the same. What is it? Satan comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. So God's allowing us to see this and, and understand it. And then later on in Ephesians, it's a familiar verse to, to many Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against this spiritual darkness that's listed. And a lot of times, I'm really slow to wake up to a spiritual battle. A lot of times, I do see the challenge in flesh and blood. If you're having a struggle with a particular individual, do you take into a, a, a account that the enemy may be attacking? You know, do you take into account that the enemy may be attacking your marriage? He may be attacking your kids that he may be attacking our church, 
If you're single, do you take into account that the enemy may be attacking you and your friendships and trying to get into our hearts and our minds and in our lives? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, and it's an interesting take. It's where demons are writing to each other on their strategy to try to destroy believers. And, And one of their strategies is to try to convince believers that there's no spiritual battle. You know, if Satan can't get you to deny your faith, then he wants you to get so comfortable, lull you to sleep, that you're not effective in this spiritual battle. Because I've got good news for you. Though this battle is real, the victory's already been won. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches to us. Satan doesn't want us to resist him because he knows if we do, that there will be victory because of Christ's death and resurrection. When it comes to sin, we're told to flee. Flee temptation. But when it comes to spiritual battle, we're told to resist, to draw near to God, to submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. So if you sense that there's a spiritual battle going on in your life, in your family, in, in your relationships, God wants you to engage. That's where the battle is. So you might be saying, I don't know how to engage. I haven't been equipped. I haven't been taught on how to fight this spiritual battle. I haven't been taught on how to be able to resist the enemy. First is it's not weirdness. It's not that you're more effective in this battle the louder you shout. If you shout really loud, then you're being effective in in this battle. The way that we're effective in this battle is found in Ephesians chapter 6 with the armor of God. And God tells us to put on the armor of God. And what that means is, is to use these truths in our lives as we're being attacked by by the enemy. This is the way we resist the enemy. So let's quickly go through the armor of God. The first is the helmet of salvation. The battle is won and lost with the enemy in our thoughts. He, He wants us to think in a destructive manner. He wants us to doubt the Lord. He wants us to be hopeless. And so what protects us from that? It is a bucket over our head of salvation. Our thoughts need to be filtered with the truth that I'm saved. I'm God's child. God God loves me. Because of my faith in Christ, I have everlasting life. This is the worst that it's ever going to get. A lot of times our circumstances seem everlasting, but the only thing that is everlasting is salvation and God's character. So we go, no, this circumstance isn't everlasting. What is everlasting is my salvation. I am protecting my thoughts with the helmet of salvation. I'm praying this over my family and my church family, that the helmet of salvation, that their thoughts would be controlled by salvation. Then we see the breastplate of righteousness. If you're in battle, where are you most vulnerable? Your your chest, because your chest has all of your vitals. So the Roman soldiers, Paul was using the Roman armor as an illustration. They would have a breastplate. And for us, our breastplate of protection is righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to us. Satan comes to us and says, well, you're not forgiven. Well, you've really messed up. Why would you even come come to church? And you say, wait a second. I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness. I have the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Satan also wants us to attack other believers when we see their sin and their failures. And we need to remember, no, they have the breastplate of righteousness. They have Christ's righteousness as well. 
And we have the shield of faith, the Roman soldiers with their, their shield to protect them from the fiery darts of the enemy. The enemy wants to do fiery darts and send them our way. And what protects us from that? It's faith. It's trusting in the character and the goodness of God. So that's a good thing to examine. Am I trusting God in my circumstance? Once my faith starts to waver, the shield of faith goes down and I start getting hit with the fiery darts of of the enemy. Then we find that our loins are girded with truth. For the Roman soldiers, their belt would hold together their armor, wouldn't it? The sword would hang. You know, if, if someone's fighting in battle as a, as a soldier or a police officer, if you notice a, a police officer in uniform, they've got a really cool belt, right? Because they've got a lot of important stuff that, that hangs from, from that, that belt. You know, this, this isn't a little Bugle Boy Walmart belt, right? This is, this is the real deal here. I don't know where that came from. I guess my childhood. <laughs> I don't think Bugle Boy exists anymore, but... So the foundation of the armor of God is the truth of God's word. We're girded with truth. We're knowing and studying the word of God. And then our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We go about our days thinking about the opportunity to share the gospel. Every step I take, it's in the gospel. Every, every step I take, I know that I'm saved and it's an opportunity to share good news with others. We've got one offensive weapon and it's the sword of truth. Jesus, when he was being tempted and attacked by the enemy, he gives us an example of how to engage in the spiritual battle, and he quoted scripture out loud. Short sections of scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. This is where the rubber meets the road in engaging the enemy, is use the word of God. Say it out loud, pray the word of God. Here's the particular struggle, so here's, here's the promise of God. Guys, we're so blessed. We are so, so blessed. We've got access to the word of God. We've got access to stuff like BibleGateway.com that's completely free if you have internet access. Maybe you're struggling with anger or doubt. You, you hit that into the search engine and you're gonna get 463 verses on doubt. Just pick one and use it, right? There's no excuse. I can't find a verse in scripture that deals with lust. Liar. <laughs> Liar, Right? We've got more access than any prior generation. Take advantage of it. Use it for, for the glory of God. Memorize it. Put it in your heart and say it, say it out loud. Use the word and use prayer. Go to the throne room of grace and ask Christ for his help. We don't speak to Satan and demons. I hope you understand that. The book of Jude tells us that the angel Michael, he said, the Lord rebuke you, speaking to, to Satan. And if that was the direction of, of, of the angel Michael, how much more for, so for us? I don't have authority over Satan and demons, but Jesus does. And so we ask Jesus, Jesus, would you rebuke the enemy? Would you rebuke Satan? Would, would he have no stronghold uh, in, in, my, in my life? And I know for some of you, this, this may be new. And for some of you, you may be saying, I don't know about all this spiritual warfare. You know, I've always thought Pastor Eric to be pretty conservative, but this trip down to Mexico, he's off his rocker, right? Like, this is real. This stuff is, is in scripture for a reason. Verse 13 is there for a reason to help us to understand there is a spiritual battle that is taking place. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be fearful, but press into it. 
Resist the enemy and he will flee from you through the armor of God, through the word of God, and through prayer. So let's go on to verse 14. Now I came to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for their vision refers to many days yet to come. So two things about the vision. It's regarding Israel and it's regarding the future. And chapter 11 gets more into this vision next week. And verse 15 When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the soul of the sons of men touched my lips and opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no restraint remains in me, now nor is any breath left in me. Verse 18, then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he had spoken to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. The third lesson from the front lines from Daniel's life is receive strength from the Lord. This angel sent by God strengthens Daniel. We see him wiped out, but at the end of verse 19, he's strengthened. How are the ways that he was strengthened? First is he was touched. The angel touched him. And God, in his ability to strengthen us, will personally communicate his care. Don't you love that? Don't you love that when sometimes just God opens your eyes and saying, you know, I do love you. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I, I am concerned what's going on with your work or your health or, or your family or the spiritual battle that, that you find yourself in. In order for us to effectively fight in this spiritual battle, we have to be strengthened from the Lord. It's not that, that Daniel in and of himself was so amazing it's that Daniel had learned how to plug into the vine, amen? amen. He, he knew how to plug into his relationship with the Lord and allow God to, to touch him and, and encourage him. And the next thing is, is that God's love is declared. You have to believe God's love to be encouraged. We're good at beating up on ourselves. We're good at letting the enemy beat up on us. And you have to really honestly, wholeheartedly believe that God loves you, that he cares for you like we read out of, out of Peter. And sometimes in our emotions, that's hard to do, isn't it? And that's why the cross is so important. The cross impacts us at salvation, but it continues to impact us. Man, I know that I'm loved by God, not based on my feelings, but based upon that God demonstrated his love by sending his son to die for me. That, that's the proof of God's love for me. So, God's love is declared to, to Daniel and that strengthens him. Also, his fear is addressed. Don't be afraid. You know, these visions are intense and they speak of suffering and things in the future and, and Daniel's tendency was to be afraid and the angel says, look, don't be afraid. Oftentimes, God's message to his people is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If for any reason, whether... It's our circumstance or what's going on in the world. Our response is fear. We know we're not in the place that God wants us to be. Perfect love casts out all fear. Maybe you're being tormented by fear. God would want to strengthen you this morning, show himself to us 
to the where we could not live in fear. We, we don't have to be in that, that place of, of fear. And then peace. He says, peace be to you. And we have peace with God, but also we need the peace of God that surpasses our understanding. That, that, that sense from the Lord, things are okay, I've got this. That supernatural peace of God. And then this challenge to be strong. It's twice. Be strong. Yes, be strong. The angel's saying, Daniel, it's time for you to be strong. And this is a response to God strengthening us. As, as God strengthens us, we say, yes, Lord. Okay, I'm not going to try to get out of the battle. I'm willing to stay in the fight and receive strength from, from the Lord. I'm sure there's many of us this morning that need strength from the Lord. Maybe you feel wiped out. You know, you feel discouraged. You're in the right place. God, God wants to strengthen you. This happens very practically as we spend time with the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord. How many times have we come in here and after worship and spending time with the Word and with the body of Christ, we go home and we go, man, my inner man feels strengthened, you know? How many times when you choose to put on some worship while you're cleaning the kitchen, at the end of that you go, oh man, my inner man feels strengthened way more than listening to NPR, you know, listening to the news. I, thank you, Lord, for, for, for your goodness. You spend some time meditating upon the word or go for a walk and, and talk with the Lord and you go, oh, I, I feel strengthened. That, that's where the exchange takes place. We're able to trade in our, our weakness for, for his strength. Verse 20 and 21, then he said to me, do you not know I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So this angel says, I got to get back to the battle. The battle never stops. And that's important to understand in this, this spiritual battle. Satan is that roaring lion seeking who he can devour. So we need to be aware of the fact that, that the battle never stops. In verse 21, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And this leads into chapter 11 next week where we see the explanation uh, from the angel. You may want to buckle up for next week's study because we're going to try to cover all 45 verses in one week or, or take a Sunday off if you'd like. But uh, it'll, it'll help you if you, if you read ahead uh, next week because we'll go through chapter uh, 11 and look at those 45 verses. Let me ask you three questions of, of application. And the first is this. Is I, am I kicking back spiritually? Not uh, is my spouse kicking back or are my friends kicking back or my kids or grandkids, but am I kicking back spiritually? Have you given yourself just license to, to kick back a little bit? I've walked with the Lord for a long time. You know, I've read through, through, through the Bible or, you know, I, I don't have a real difficulty in my life right now so I can just, just kick back. Take it from Daniel. Man, we don't ever want to kick back spiritually. We always want to press into the Lord. And then, am I fighting the spiritual battle with physical weapons? What do I mean by this? Am I fighting the, the spiritual battle with physical weapons? There may be dynamics that are happening at work that totally feel just physical. God's perspective is there's a spiritual reality that's taking place, and are you praying about it? Are you 
looking at God's promises and what God's word has to say, those are the spiritual weapons. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians, it tells us that the strongholds are are pulled down through the spiritual weapons, not the carnal weapons. The, The change that we're longing for, it happens spiritually as we engage in this battle. It's not just a physical battle that's happening in our community. I hope you realize that. You know, we have to be engaged physically in in our community, Colorado Springs. But but there's a spiritual reality that's taking place in in this city. You know, are we engaged in that battle with those spiritual weapons? It's not just the physical elements in your marriage, you know? Why is it so hard to get to church, right? Right? Have you ever noticed as you load your family up for church that it becomes very, very difficult, doesn't it? There's no resistance for our family to go get ice cream, right? As we, as we go to get ice cream, it's, a, it's an easy drive to the ice cream shop, right? And it's an easy win as a parent. It's like, look, if you're going to misbehave on the way to the ice cream shop, you don't get ice cream, right? <laughs> but you, you come to church and there's real spiritual battle. Do you ever have resistance to go read ESPN.com, you know? No, it's, it's very easy to go read ESPN.com. But then you go to read your Bible and all of a sudden you're extremely distracted, right? I can't even focus on the words on the page. Well, the enemy's attacking, so use the spiritual weapons. Use prayer, use the word of God. Use crying out to Jesus for help. And then finally, am I receiving strength from the Lord? Am I receiving strength from the Lord? Are we, are we trying to do this spiritual life and fight this battle apart from God's strength? Are we doing it in, in our own strength? As we sing this last song, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And if, if you need prayer, if you say, I'm really in the midst of a spiritual battle, allow a pastor or someone on the ministry team to, to come and pray with you and to, to pray for you. If you're in that place where you're saying, I need to receive strength from the Lord. I'm really wore out. Come and receive prayer. Uh, Let's worship. Let's put our attention upon the Lord. Also, if if you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is the most important thing. As you've just sat through a Bible study on spiritual warfare. And I think even as an unbeliever, you can see the reality of Satan. You can see the reality of sin and how Satan seeks to bring destruction into our lives. And the Savior came to seek and to save. He came to seek you out. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. And as we sing, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. To come down to find somebody on the ministry team and say, I'm ready to trust Christ for salvation. And Jesus tells us that what we choose to do with him determines whether we go to heaven or hell. Turning from our sin, trusting him, it's a free gift. It's his grace that saves us through faith as we we express to Jesus, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again. I'm inviting you to be the Lord of my life. Part of receiving Christ as your Savior is receiving this free gift and then saying, Jesus, I want to walk in relationship with you. I'm ready for you to change my life, you know. If you're in a place where you're saying, you know, I'm happy with the way my life is without Christ, then you're not ready to receive Christ. Because part of receiving Christ is I want this free gift of salvation, but also I'm tired of making a mess of me. I'm tired of destroying my own life. I'm tired of being in control of my life. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. So please respond if you need to, if you need prayer, if you're in a spiritual battle, prayer if you need strength.
prayer if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior. Let's stand together and we'll pray. If you feel comfortable, just open your hands uh, to the Lord in a posture of surrender. And Father, we do surrender afresh to you this morning. And we know that we only have one life to live. And we want it to be lived for your glory. Our lives are not our own. Our, our spirit, our body belongs to you. We want to glorify you. We ask by grace, through faith, that you would strengthen us. Where we're weak and discouraged, would that be exchanged for your strength and your grace? God, help us to press into this spiritual battle. Lord, would you give us wisdom how to fight well? So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.